Ezekiel 43 and 12. This is uh, the foundation of our, of everything we've been talking about. So Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 12. I'm going to read this in the Amplified Bible. And it says, this is the law of the house of the Lord. The whole area round about on top of the mountain, Mount Moriah, shall be most holy, separated and set apart. Behold, this is the law of the house of the Lord. So last, last week, we, we laid the groundwork for appointing God as the head of our house, as the head of our lives, establishing God as absolute supreme authority. You know, that, at least that was the plan. And um, at some point in time, it's going to be up to you to, uh, to allow that to happen. And, you know, when we continue to study and, you know, it's like, Lord, you know, how's this going to work? You know, how do you become head of my life? Well, the interesting thing about this is that the very moment that you decided to accept Christ as your personal Savior, He became the Lord of your life. Now, the interesting part about this is that um, the co-pastor talks about this all the time, that He is a perfect gentleman. So you invited Him into your life, and then you immediately showed Him a seat and said, I got this, you just stay there, and I'll handle all this on my own. And clearly, and clearly, that is not what he wants us to do. I mean, I'm, I'm tired of, of just kind of leading this sort of mediocre existence. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of just, you know, just having enough. You know, I'm tired of just having a victory, defeat, victory, defeat. You know, I'm tired of yo-yoing my life. Now, I don't know about you, but I am done with the yo-yoing of my life. So God, show me, show me exactly what I need to do so that I can receive all that you have for me. So today when we continue to talk, I need you to look at this or, or see this or hear this through these, these certain lenses. Yes, God wants to be the head of your house. He wants to be the rule of law in everything that you do. And we need to look at this through, through three phases. We need to look at this individually. Like, Lord, what can I do? What do I need to do? What participation is required of me? We need to look at it corporately. How is this going to affect church? And third, we have to look at this globally. You weren't just put here so that you can receive all from God. You were put here so that you can be used by God to affect not only your brother, your sister, but the entire world. So last week we laid a good foundation of what our lives should look like. And now we need to put it into perspective in terms of how can we do this day in and day out. So turn with me real fast to Jeremiah chapter 17. So Jeremiah 17, verse 7 and 8, and I'm going to read this in both the King James and the Amplified Bible, excuse me. It says, Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the rivers that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So the Amplified says, most blessed is the man who believes in, trusts in, and relies on the Lord, and whose hope and confidence is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters that spreads its roots out by the river, and it shall not see and fear when heat comes, but its leaf shall be green. It shall not be anxious and full of care in the year of drought, nor shall it cease yielding fruit. 
nor shall it cease yielding fruit. I said, okay, Lord. We've had seasons in our lives. You know, seasons. And, you know, it sounds nice. You know, I'm in this season of my life, and it sounds very spiritual, but it's not very factual. Because right there, it says that I shouldn't have to worry about a drought. So if God is the head of my house and the head of my life, and that is the rule of law in my house and the rule of law in my life, there is no dry season. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Ever. So let's throw that myth out the window that God has not caused you to have this season, this season, this season. It should be a place where I yield fruit all of the time. That's right. That's right. So Dave, um, are you yielding fruit all the time? Oh, oh my God. No, Lord. He's like, well, well, why is that? Why, why, why aren't you yielding fruit? Why are you, Dave, anxious and full of care about what's happening right now? So the tree that's planted by the river of water isn't anxious. So you're not anxious about anything. You're not fearful about anything. It doesn't matter what's happening around you. We don't care about the drought. We don't care about this or that. Because right now, you've already been planted firmly in a place of prosperity. Yes. And that you should be fruitful or yielding fruit all of the time. Yes. So, so if there's ever a chance in your life where you are not yielding fruit all of the time, then we need to go back to the basics and say, what is the rule of law in my house? Lord, what am I doing that's cutting off my supply to have this never-ending replenishment? What is happening? What am I doing? What am I doing? What am I saying? What am I believing? What am I allowing into my house to make you take a seat in my life? What is happening here? I said, okay. Let's go with me to Psalms 112. Psalms 112. And I'm going to read verse 1 through 9. Now, you know, I had somebody asked me one time, how come you give so long of a text? Like, why do you use so many scriptures? I'm like, well, I can't help it. One, I like reading. But I need to make sure that you have proper context of what we're talking about. Because it's one thing to give you a snippet of something. But to show you the entire intent is really what we're doing. So we're going to read a lot today. I hope you don't mind, but we're going to read a lot. So Psalms 112, one says, Praise the Lord, hallelujah. Blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied is the man who reveres, worships the Lord. So this is like the third time we've heard this now about revering, trusting, and worshiping him. Who delights greatly in his commandments? So Lord, I, I thrive and I thirst after you. His spiritual offspring shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Prosperity and welfare are in his house. Welfare means riches. Prosperity and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light arises in the darkness for the upright, gracious, compassionate, and just who are in right standing with God. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. He will not be moved forever. The uncompromisingly righteous, the upright and right standing with God shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart 
is firmly fixed, trusting, leaning on, and being confident in the Lord. His heart is established and steady, and he will not be afraid while he waits to see his desire established upon his adversaries. Hmm. So, verse 2 talks about the church. His spiritual offspring shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. So if I get my act together as an individual, let's just say, Lord, you know what? I'm actually believe your word. I'm going to actually do what you tell me to do. I'm going to believe everything you say, and I'm going to seek you first and put you as the head of my life. So if I do that, that very action is going to cause my offspring and my spiritual offspring to be blessed. So think about this. The church as a whole will be blessed when the members of the church get blessed. That's right. That's right. So you can't sit in the building and say, man, when are the people going to come? Or man, when's God going to show out if you're not allowing him to do it in your life first? So there's a chain reaction that happens here. See, now remember we talk about seeing this through those certain lenses. I need to see me first. I need to see how this is going to affect the church. And thirdly, I need to see how this is going to affect the world. So now it, it talked about it right here. You know, and if you look at it, this is almost like a checklist to say, this is how you should act every day in your life. So so when you get down to verse 5, it says, It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. That's how you're supposed to act in the world. It said, You, as a believer, should be fair and just and gracious and generous with everything that God has already given you. That includes his love. That includes being a beacon of light to every single person that you see. That's right. Somebody says, you might be the only Bible that someone will ever read. Well, that's what we're talking about right here. So, Lord, I want more for you. Said, I want to be the head of your house. I want to make sure that I am number one in everything that you do. So, ultimately, you can affect the world so the world can see that I should be number one in everything that they do also. And you can't start affecting change out in the world until we start affecting change here in the church, until we start affecting change with ourselves first. So this may sound like, hey, Lord, bless me, bless me indeed, but it actually should be, Lord, bless me so I can bless everyone else. That's right. yeah. Lord, show me the plan of prosperity for my life so I can make the world a better place. Yeah. Amen. Here's the thing. You live in a time right now where the world actually hates people that say they believe in God. Yeah. You know why? Because every believer that the world has run into has either condemned them, judged them, treated them poorly, yeah. treated them inhumanely or just flat out ignored them completely said but no I I called you to do something different and the reason why this is this verse is important because we have to have a paradigm shift in the way that we comport ourselves as believers so every morning when you wake up and you don't see yourself as an instrument of change to make the world a better place then all of these grand things that God wants to do for you will be all for naught because clearly you're not the guy that he's looking for so Dave I need you to be clear I need your heart to be fixed. I need to be steadfast in me. And when you do that, and I can show you how to live your life, then you will be the example that I can prop up in front of everyone else. We talk about, Lord, promote me. Lord, put me in a position where I can influence more folks. Put me in a position where I can draw people in. He's like, well, I can't do that if you don't have your act together. When it talks about bearing fruit, yielding fruit, that's what he's talking about. 
said, so what are you gonna do with this? What are you gonna do? Are you gonna continue to squander your opportunities to impact this world the way I created you to do, or are you just gonna be locked in your own tiny little bubble, expecting someone else to do your job? It says, he will not be moved forever. You will be established, and your heart will be fixed and steady, and you will not be afraid. You can only get to that point in your life when you actually know who God is. So it's one thing to say, yes, God, make me, you know, put me up high, promote me, make me the head, not the tail, above only, not again beneath. So, but you have to know me so I can do that. During this study, there are 900 different names and titles and attributes of God. More than 900. So then it's your job as a believer to get to know every single aspect of who I am. So that I can show you what I can do for you in your life. So now, this may not be what you wanted to hear, but this is what you have to hear. You have to hear this in order to grow. You have to hear this in order to grow. Grow with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter one, verse three. And we're gonna read this all the way down to 10. And we know what this says. For his divine power has bestowed upon us all things that are requisite and suited to life and godliness through the full personal knowledge of him who called us by and to his own glory and excellence and virtue. By means of these, he has bestowed upon us his precious, exceeding great promises, so that through them you may escape by flight from the moral decay, rottenness, and corruption that is in the world because of covetousness, lust, and greed, and become sharers or partakers of the divine nature. For this very reason, adding your diligence to the divine promises, employ every effort in exercising your faith to develop virtue, excellence, resolution, Christian energy, and in exercising virtue, develop knowledge or intelligence. He's telling you to get smart. Said get smart about your life. And in exercising knowledge or putting this knowledge to the test, develop self-control. And in exercising self-control, develop steadfastness, patience, endurance. And in exercising steadfastness, develop godliness or piety. And in exercising godliness, develop brotherly affection. And in exercising brotherly affection, develop Christian love. For as these qualities are yours and increasingly abound in you, they will keep you from being idle or unfruitful until the full personal knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Now, we said a lot right there. We said a lot. And the key here is that for all of these qualities should be you and increasingly abound in you and keep you from being idle or unfruitful. We talked about being that tree planted by the rivers of water. I don't want to be that tree that experiences seasons where we're fruitful one minute, where we're despondent the next, where we're suffering through drought. He said, this is going to keep you from being idle if you focus on me and get smart about what I want to do for you. Now, I'm not saying God's calling you a dummy. I'm not saying that. He's saying that about you. 
But what he's telling you is that you need to spend a little bit more time getting to know me and what I want to do for you. This is going to require some action on your part. We've been in cruise control for so long that we forgot what it actually means to know God and who God is and what he wants to do. We've invited him into the house, but we pushed him into a corner. We haven't invited him into our lives. We've just said, just come and visit or just walk inside so I can make sure that my mom is happy knowing that I just got in. We're fearful to engage. And that's what he's looking for, engagement. said, what sense does it make to literally have the answer to every problem in your life or to have access to the solution of every single thing that you would face in your life, but then not to access that information? What sense does it make? None. What sense does it make to be gifted with a gift from God and then to not use it? What sense does that make? What sense does it make to serve a God that says you are free and calls you free, but you live your life as if you were still in bondage? That's what happens when you're unfruitful or you're not yielding fruit or when you're suffering a, when you're suffering a drought in your life. So you know what? I, I've just disconnected, willingly disconnected from God. So it sounds great to say, yes, God, be the head of my household, and I want you to be the rule of law in my house, but you can't say that if you actually don't know what the rules are. So if you don't know that God is a healer, then you can't make that the rule of law in your house. If you don't know that God is your supplier, then you can't make that the rule of law in your house. And this is what he means by getting smart about who I am. He said, figure it out that I am everything that you will ever need. The beginning of this, of this passage that we read here says that I've given you all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He said, I've given you every single thing that you will ever need. But you have to be smart enough to access what I've already given you. And we hear the message, and we know that, yes, it is already done. He went through the cross, he died, and he rose on that third day and made sure that everything that possibly could affect us, he already wiped out. But yet and still, we don't access all of that. And we're trying to change the world, but we've got to change ourselves first. I said, okay. I said, stop being idle. Don't be fruitless. Be fruitful. I said, okay, Lord. I like that part. I like that part a lot. Verse 9 says, For whosoever lacks these qualities is blind, spiritually short-sighted, seeing only what is near to him, and has become oblivious to the fact that he was cleansed from his old sins, or that you were cleansed from your old way of doing and being. Every day that you don't receive from God, you are living a life as if you don't know who God really is. Brethren of this, brethren, be all the more solicitous and eager to make sure to ratify, to strengthen, to make steadfast your calling and election. For if you do this, you will never stumble or fall. Now, we are very quiet right now. And I am hoping, I am hoping, hoping, hoping that this is not only seeping into your brain. 
but at some point in time, it's going to work its way into your heart. Because he wants 9 and 10 to become a reality. He said, if you lack these qualities, you're blind. He said, if you don't see all the things that I have for you, he said, you're you're spiritually stunted, you're short-sighted, because you can only see your current situation instead of everything that I want to do for you. Verse 10, and this, I, I love this part. He says, be eager to ratify, to strengthen, and to make steadfast your own calling. If you do this, you will never stumble or fail. If you never, ever embrace the call that God has placed on your life, you will continue to stumble, trip, fall, and fail in your life if you never embrace the call that God has on your life. Understand what he's saying right now is that you are designed to complete a specific task. And every day that you don't embrace that assignment and then you willingly shirk your duties or you try to do an end around what God wants to do for you in your life, you will fail. You will fail. Who wants to fail? Anybody? I never want to fail. I hate losing. I'm a sore loser. I'm a sore loser. So if that's the case, why wouldn't you have that attitude with your own life? That every day should be an opportunity for you to win and not fail. To be victorious and not to be defeated. He said, I need you guys to understand what I have elected for you to do. I like, I mean, it it says right there, he used the word, election. He said, I've elected you to do something very special. But you got to get smart about what I want to do for you. He said, but you'll never know what I want to do for you if you don't spend time with me. You'll never know what your call is on your life unless you decide to say, Lord, be the head of my life. You are squandering a golden opportunity. No, you are squandering a God opportunity in your life every day that you choose not to, not to, not to embrace what God has for you. Now, growing up, my, you know, my mother, much to the dismay of my wife, um, really pumped up my head in terms of my own personal greatness. Like, I, I just felt that way, and she pays the price for it every day. I'm sorry. It's her fault. But growing up, it was always, you can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want to be. We say it all the time, you have greatness upon you. Now, if that's been declared over your life by the creator himself, who are you to say otherwise? Who are you to say otherwise? So if he called you great, then you are? If he called you magnificent, then you are? You're not Kim, you're magnificent. If he called you wonderful, then you're wonderful. If he called you lovely, then you're lovely. If he called you blessed and highly favored, then that's what he called you. So when he says, get smart about what I want to do for you, figure out what your call is. It is imperative. In fact, it it is a matter of life or death. 
because too many of us are living our lives not understanding what our purpose is. Too many of us are living our lives not understanding what God's purpose is. And too many of us are living our lives not understanding what God's purpose is for us. So, do you have some homework this next week or so to figure out, God, what is it that I'm supposed to do? What is it that you're calling me to do? What are you saying that I can do? What do you want to be in my life? These are all the things that you have to figure out for yourself. Now, I can show you in this Bible, and we will do that probably next week, all of the wonderful things that God says about you. But at this point, you should already know. That's just the reality of it. Because it's not like you haven't heard it. So we'll review it again, and that's fine. It's okay, you know, and we'll, we'll just talk it out like we, like we do every time we get together. But you have to understand that God wants you to do magnificent things. And he can only do it if you allow him to work with you in your life. This is a partnership. Because if it was about God just taking over, the moment you said, come into my life, he would bully you out of the way and just do whatever he wanted in your life. So clearly... Clearly, he has to have permission to operate in your life. You got to allow him to do it. You have to allow him to do this in your life. Would you let God be God in your life is the question that has to be answered for every single believer. In fact, it has to be answered for every single human soul walking this earth. Will you allow God to be God in your life? Mark 16 and 20 talks about, here, you know what, I'm just going to read it. Because Sister Pat mentioned a little bit this when she was uh, doing corporate prayer, and I liked it. So Mark 16 and 20 says, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord kept working with them. Not in them, but with them. And confirming the message by attesting signs and miracles that closely accompanied it. Amen. Said so, so listen. The establishment of the rule of law in your house requires God's hand for completion, but it requires your ability to let him do it in your life. It requires your permission. Said because he wants to work with you. Let me work with you in your life so people can see signs following, confirming that God is great, confirming that we serve not only a God, but the God. Too many of us are doing this push-pull action with God. Yeah. I can say that because I'm that guy. Go this way. No, Lord, no, I think this is, be- I think this is a better way. No, 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 come this way. No, Lord, I think this is really a better way. I said, no, I'm trying to get you somewhere. If you ever try to walk with somebody arm in arm, lockstep, right, it's difficult if you're both pulling in two different directions. But you will get to your end destination if the two of you walk in unison. It's much like a marriage. So if you guys are in lockstep in terms of the direction of your marriage, of your life, of your household, and you're pulling in two different directions, you know what's going to happen? You're actually going to break apart. So that's what's going to That's what's happening in your life right now. God's like, hey, just, just come this way. Just, just 
just come this way. I'm begging you, please, just come over here. If you just follow me, I'm telling you, it's going to be really good. If you just follow me, I'm going to make sure that you never stumble or that you never fall. Just follow me, and I'll make sure that everything that you desired gets established. Just follow me. Let me lead you here. Some of the verses that we're probably not even going to get to talks about humbling yourself before God. The reason why this is important, because if you're not humbled before God, he can't lead you anywhere. To humble yourself means to submit, means to acquiesce, means I'm going to kneel myself, I'm going to dip to you. Last night, we were out to to dinner at the Marine Corps ball, and they brought in the colors. And the flag came up, you know, and they had the Marine Corps flag too. And what I found interesting is that as soon as the anthem gets played, they dip the Marine Corps flag. It never stands straight up. It submits to the American flag. It dips. Said, in your life, let God stand tall and you submit to his will, his way, his way of doing and being right. And in your submission, you stand up victorious. It's in your submission that you receive all that God has. It's in your submission that makes you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. In your submission is where that season of perpetual growth and prosperity comes to fruition. It's in the submission. So so yes, God, I will submit to your way. I will submit to your will so that you can bless me as you said in your word. I have a couple more verses that I want to get to, and we're running out of time. Media, permit me two minutes, and I want to read this, and we'll close with this. Romans 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Romans 6, 13 and 14, we're going to read this in the Message Bible. It would be helpful if I got there too. You know what? I'm going to start at 12. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts and passions. Do not go on offering members of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. But offer yourselves to God in a decisive act as those alive, raised from the dead to a new life. And your members, all of your abilities, sanctified, set apart as instruments of righteousness, yielded to God. Said, submit yourself in a decisive fashion. Submit yourself to God in a decisive fashion. And act like you've been raised from the dead to a new life so that sin can no longer be your master, so that the outside world can no longer put itself above God in your life. He said, submit to me today. He said, submit to me today. And let me use you as an instrument of righteousness yielded to God. Use me as an instrument of righteousness yielded to you, Heavenly Father. That's what I want. I want to live in the freedom of God. I want to live in God's 
freedom today. And to do that is going to require me to let God have first place in every single thing that I do. So submission or true submission means that you are under, not in just some things, but in all things. So today you have to ask yourself, Lord, you know, am I capable of submitting? Sure you are. But am I willing to? I don't know. That's only something that you can answer. So while we get ready to have our communion today and we go to settle every issue here at the table, so Lord, I want you to be the head of my life. I want you to be the rule of law in my house. I want you to be the rule of law in my house. Everything has to obey by your rule of law in my house. And if I uphold that as my standard bearer, then I know that I will be prosperous, that I know that I will be blessed. I know that I will actually receive all that you have for me and actually achieve the purpose that you have placed for me in this earth today. I know that that will happen if I submit to you and let you rule my life as you want. Thank you for listening to today's message. Visit www.rwolfc.com for articles, blog posts, message references, and our monthly calendar of events.